He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear it and put their trust in the Lord. The late Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandis, Brandis said to his frustrated, impatient teenage daughter, who would ever thought those adjectives would go with a teenage daughter? He said these words, My dear, if you would only recognize that life is hard, things would be much easier for you. Jesus told his disciples to expect trials. He begins in John 16, verses 1 and 2, and he says these words, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Well, what did he say? They will put you, go ahead, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, he begins the chapter with these words, and listen to how he ends the chapter. Because Jesus kind of starts kind of dark, <laughs> but he ends with hope in John 16, 33. He says these words, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, difficulties, pits. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Peter, the one whom Christ said, you are the rock and, and upon you I'm going to build my church. Peter builds on Jesus' words and, uh, in John's Gospel in his own book, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Listen, as though something strange were happening to you. Now what's amazing is, yet in spite of these words from both Jesus and Peter, many followers struggle with their trials, with their difficulties. A key to uh, persevering well is to know that pits are not prob probable, but inevitable. Pits are not probable, but inevitable. Psalm 40 gives us the reason and the response to the inevitable. Psalm 40 is a song about pits. You may ask the question. You can go back. You were right. What is a pit? What is a pit? What does David mean by a pit? What do I mean by a pit? What does the Bible mean by a pit? A pit is simply this, anything that causes a sense of helplessness, desperation, and threatens to ruin or take away your life. That's what a pit is. Anything that causes a sense of helplessness, desperation, and threatens to ruin or take away your life. We are not called to pray for pits, only to pray for them. Only to pray in them, in them. Why? Because pits have purpose. 
And just because they have purpose doesn't mean you ought to pray for them. Because they're going to come whether you pray for them or not. But the pit is there because the Lord wants you to learn how to pray in the pit. Joseph was thrown in a pit so that he could be prepared to live in a palace. So that he could be prepared to save many people. And as a matter of fact, the very people that, that threw Joseph in a pit would be some of the very people that Joseph would eventually save. But in God's economy and in, and in God's sovereignty, there was no other way for Joseph to get to the palace and to the place and the, and the position that he needed to be in in order to save the nation without first going to the pit. Now, I've often talked to the Lord about that and just asked Him, why do you take such weird routes to get to the end destination? Like, I mean, He told Joseph in a dream that his brothers would bow down before him, that he would ascend to this place of authority and position, that he would eventually become a, a savior of, of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. And yet, instead of just letting Joseph grow up and be trained for this position through schooling and through college or university or some type of leadership program, the Lord has Joseph thrown into a pit. And if you don't believe that the Lord was overseeing all of that, then you just need to read the entire story of Joseph. Because God was super, super, uh, superintending this event. He was overseeing this event. Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil and what they did was evil. He said, God meant it for good. God was working good out of that. Why? Because Joseph had to go to the pit in order to be ready for the palace. Jonah described the belly of the great fish as a pit. And what did his pit do? His, his pit prepared him to preach. Why? Because he, wasn't, he was called to preach, he was given a message to preach, and yet Jonah didn't want to go preach the message. He tried to go in the opposite direction that the Lord told him to go. He tried to get as far away. Tarshish was as far west as anybody knew to go. So he literally tried to go to the end of the known world to get away from God. And God created a pit called a well and swallowed Jonah up in a pit. Now here's what I want you to know about pits. Pits are not places of punishment because God doesn't punish His, his children. He disciplines them, but He doesn't punish them. Pits are where God prepares His people for the work that God's called them to do. Did you know that God's got a work for you to do? Maybe not to be on a stage. Maybe not to even teach a class. But, but if you're a Christian this morning, no matter what your age is, young, old, in between, it doesn't really matter. 
God saved you according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 by grace through faith so you wouldn't boast in your salvation. But then in verse 10, he says that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared beforehand. But I want to tell you something. Something that I've learned about some of the work that the Lord has prepared beforehand in my life that I have already accomplished, that I was not ready for that work until I spent some time in the pit. Why? Because there's some stuff that needs to happen in the pit to get you ready for the work that God's called you to do that you can't get prepared any other way. In the pit, the Lord is working in us patience. Oh boy. Patience. Anybody in, in here ever been told don't pray for patience? Yeah. What is patience? I've been trying to, I've, I've been trying to wrap my mind around patience. What does it mean to be patient? I didn't put this on, a, on, a, uh, on the screen, but let me give you... It, it finally dawned on me this morning at around 6 a.m. what patience is. Here's what I wrote down. Trust in the presence of absence. Trust in the presence of absence. You follow me? Trust... In the presence of absence. Patience is waiting on God in that moment to do what He says He's going to do that He hasn't yet done. The absence. What He has yet to do. That's what patience is. And that's what we learn deep down in the pit. We learn in the pit that we must wait on the Lord. Not only is He working in us patience, but He's working out of us praise. Praise. We'll get to that in a minute. You see, the Lord never works in us just for us. He works in us for us and for others. He will not only give us a song to sing, He will make us a substance to see so that others will fear and put their trust in the Lord. Listen, when you get down to the end of this chapter, part of the, part of the reason why God is allowing David to go through these pits in his life, and, and we can track many pits, that David found himself in. David has gone through his pits because he says down at the end of the chapter that when you are in a pit and you come out of a pit, and you come out of a pit trusting in the Lord, it makes the world around us stand and take notice and say, great is the Lord. You see, placid lives, calm, no issues, no, 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 no waves, 
no ripples in your life. A placid life does not make people say, great is the Lord. A charm life does not make people say, great is the Lord. Pits, the universal experience of all humans, make people say, great is the Lord. Why? Because pits make our faith real. Right? Pits make your faith real. How do you know your faith's real until it's put to the test? How do you know faith is real until it must be implemented? Until it must be lived out? They, pits, make us real. And guess what pits do? They make God real. I'm going to quote from my one of my favorite childhood books. What is real? Asked the rabbit one day. When they were lying side by side near the nursery fender, before Nana came to tidy the room, does it mean having things that buzz inside you and stick out and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not, not just to play with you, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he, always, for he was always truthful. When you're real... You don't mind being hurt. Does it all happen at once? Like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It, it takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or, or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose joints, and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you're real, you can't be ugly, except to the people who don't understand. In the pit, we become. In the pit, we become. That's where we take shape and form. In the pit, God is producing. He is the potter forming the clay. He's shaping us. He is making us real. And many will see His handiwork and trust in Him because they will see how great is the Lord. Listen, church. Our world is in desperate need of real Christianity. Some of us are wafer thin, almost translucent. You can see almost right through us. There's no depth to us. 
Why? Because we have tried to spend our we have spent our lives trying to avoid the pit. We have spent our lives belly aching about our pits. Rather than coming to fully understand what God is doing in the pits of our life. And that's what this Psalm 40 verses 1 through 3 teaches us. Y'all, not, y'all are not going to believe what's about to happen. But just watch what's about to happen. We can wait on the Lord. Three truths that we get taught. We can wait on the Lord because He listens. He listens. How do you become real in the pit? How does God form, shape, make, mold you? Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined to me and He heard my cry. Waiting, listen, that literally means, says this. When he says, I waited patiently, he says, waiting, I waited. I'm not a good waiter. My wife will vouch for that. And I'm a terrible waiter at restaurants. If I pull up and it's a five-minute wait, I'm going somewhere else. I don't do good with waiting. And if I have to wait, I am an impatient waiter. Matter of fact, I'm so impatient, I'll make you miserable being around me. And my wife's over here shaking her head. That's true. He didn't say, I, I waited impatiently for the Lord. He said, waiting, I waited. He was patiently waiting while he waited. But listen, waiting is not idleness in the Bible. It is divine activity that, expect, that is expecting God to work. David is waiting in his waiting because he has the utmost confidence that God is at work. Notice that David does not try to climb out of the pit. What does he do? He doesn't try to climb out. Instead, he cries out of the pit. Because he knows why. What the verse says, the Lord is listening. The pit reminds him that he is powerless to climb out, but not powerless to cry out. You know why some of us keep falling back into pits? Because we have not learned the secret to true Christianity. When you are weak, then you are strong. And the Lord loves, and He gravitates, and He comes close to one type of person, weakness. Oh, He loves weak people. One commentator said the reason why David was the, the reason why the Lord loved David so much and the reason why the Lord said David is a man after my own heart the commentator said because David did nothing but cry He was constantly crying before the Lord why because David was constantly feeling his weakness 
And David needed to feel his weakness. He killed some animals. He slew a giant. I mean, he did so. I mean, you think about some of the stuff this guy did when he was young. I mean, he's his his resume is impressive. And it doesn't take much for you to start thinking highly of yourself. And yet David learned in the pit that the way out of the pit, what you're supposed to learn in the pit, is don't try to climb out, but cry out. Waiting is an exercise of trust. David could wait because he knew the Lord was listening. And, and may, need I, well, I'll, say that, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. How did David have the assurance that the Lord was listening? How did he know God was listening? Because in that verse 1, he said, he waited patiently for who? The Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Remember, in a covenant relationship, promise or, promises are kept regardless of the other person's action. David knew that no matter what was the cause of the pit, that God was still in relationship with David because they were in a covenant relationship together. Which means that God said, you know what? I'm staying with you regardless. I have entered into this relationship with you with the end game never to be apart. Some of us need to remember that when we're in the pit. We think that God has abandoned us. We think God has forsaken us. And yet, in the pit, we can have assurance that when we cry out to God, that He will hear us. Why? Because Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who, began a, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see... You can wait patiently when the Lord has attached His reputation to your life. Ooh. <laughs> that, hey, when He saved you, He brings you into this relationship, and what does He say to you? He says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You forsake or leave, never will I. That's what He's saying. Why? Because God stakes His reputation on His covenant. And if He says to us, to those who have truly been born again, I started to work, I'll finish it, then when you're in the pit, you can, you can rest assured that if you cry out, He will hear. Notice that the Lord does not come until David cries out. He turned to David because David had turned towards the Lord. The Lord heard David because David tuned his life to the Lord's frequency. Some of us need to do that this morning. We need to tune our life over to God's frequency because what we're trying to do is we're trying to tune God into our frequency. God, I need you to get on the same wavelength that I'm on. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. I need you to get on my wavelength. So not only does God listen, okay, but He lifts. He lifts. Verse 2 says, He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. Every time I read that verse, I think of that hymn that I've 
I've repeated often from this pulpit. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Brothers and sisters, some of us, we got a bout of spiritual amnesia. Some of us have forgotten how, how far down the Lord reached to pull you out. And some of you, you weren't all that bad. But you were still in a pit. And you still needed to be pulled out. And some of us have forgotten since our salvation some of the pits that we have found ourselves in. And we have cried out to the Lord and the Lord has again, faithfully, over and over again, reached down and lifted us out and pulled us out and set our feet upon a rock. We can wait on the Lord not only because He listens and not only because He lives, but we can wait. But when we wait, we experience security. When we wait, we, we experience security. Notice what happened in verse 2. He goes from sinking to standing. David went from stuck to secure. Pit, strip us of our false security and help us to find our true stability and security in the Lord. You see, what happens is, is that we often think we're standing on secure, that we are standing on something that is stable and secure. And what the Lord has to do is the Lord has to bring about some reality in, into our life that really what we're standing on and what we think we are secure in is quicksand. It's a miry bog. It's not stable. It's not secure. When we wait, not only do we experience security, but when we wait, we experience singing. Look at verse 3. He says, He's put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. You know what saved people do? They sing. Saved people sing. Rescue people rejoice. Those who have been pulled out of the pit, 
pour out in praise. Those who have been lifted up can't be shut up. You know why saved people got to sing? Because salvation is not complete without singing. Salvation is just not complete without singing. Why? Because when we are saved, God puts a song in our hearts. Christian people are singing people. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my heart with what? That's what happens when we get saved. It's not, I get to sing, it's, I got to sing. Why? Because if I don't, I'm going to burst. Have you ever had something happen to you to such a degree that if you didn't tell somebody, you were literally, you felt like you were going to explode? That's what happens when you get saved. I always find it, I always find it interesting that, you know, the Bible tells us that you know, when a person comes to faith in Christ, that they should tell other people, right? That's what baptism's all about. It's a public profession of faith. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. My goodness, how in the world, if you experience the salvation of Scripture, I don't see how there's any way anybody could shut you up from telling everybody what happened. Everybody who's been rescued gets a, gets a song. When we wait, others experience sight. When we wait, others experience sight. Notice what he said. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We're going to have a series of verses come up here. I'm just going to kind of let the Bible speak here at the end. I'm going to let the Bible commentate itself. All right? We're going to go to a couple of Old Testament stories. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys who got thrown into the fiery furnace. Then... King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, notice, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of, the, of those men. Their hair and their heads were not sins. Their cloaks were not armed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar asked and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. Watch. Who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will, I will make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. How about that? <laughs> that, that, that that's not some lightweight saying that. That is the most powerful man on the planet. Nebuchadnezzar. saying, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Why? Because the, the furnace, the pit, it had a purpose. Go to the next one. A little further in. Uh, keep going. There we go. Now, let's, let's move over to Daniel and the lions then. As he came near... Uh, came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, notice that, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent angels and shut the, uh, shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. Not perfect, just blameless. Before him, and also before you, O king, I have, done no, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the the den of lions and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and language that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Now watch. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. Here are these great and mighty kings who through the actions of God's men, of God's people, saw the reality of faith. 
They saw the reality of the one true and living God. And guess what they did? We don't know if they turned to the Lord and believed in Him. But that's not necessarily the point there. The point of it is, is that He was seen and God was glorified. But here's what we do know in closing. When we wait on others, when we wait, others will experience salvation. Look, people will see, even, even unbelievers will be able to see the undeniable reality of God. But here's, here's what will happen. There will be some in those that see that will not only see, but they will believe. They will trust in the Lord. That's what the last part of the verse says, and put their trust in the Lord. It's not our singing that will save, but our song. Not the tune, but the truth. And so I just want to finish with this last story. You've got Paul and Silas who are out on missionary work, and they're doing the work of the Lord. And they are arrested for for doing the work of the Lord. And they're thrown into prison. And you know this story, but think about it with me one more time this morning. And they're thrown into this prison after they had been beaten, I mean severely beaten, to the point where they're bloody and bruised and, and, and their, their flesh has been torn open and they're thrown into this dingy, nasty uh, 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 jail. And trust me, I've been to, I've been to Rome and, and I've actually, I, I actually went into the prison cell where they believe Paul was being held captive when he wrote the book of Philippians. And, and, and there's nothing nice about it. There's nothing clean about it. And it sure is not a place that you want to find yourself with open wounds and, and, and with a body that's been beaten and broken uh, at the hands of other people. But yet, this is where they find themselves, in this prison. And yet, it says, at the midnight hour, they begin to lift up their voice and they begin to sing praises unto the Lord. Right? They begin to sing praises Unto the Lord. And the Bible says that the jail shook and the, the doors were thrown open and they were, they were freed. And the, 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 the jailer ran to them and fell down and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. And he believed, and he was saved, and he took the the two men back to his home, and, and his family came to faith in Christ. Listen, it is when we sing, it was not... The, the tune of their voice, it was not uh, the quality of their voice that brought about salvation, but it was the truth and the songs that they sung. And when they were singing the truth of these songs, the jailer could see the reality of the song in their life. He knew that this faith was not just some, something that worked when life was great, but it worked in all aspects of life. And I want to tell you something before we leave here. There's verses like the one that's on the screen in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 38. And the first couple of verses talk about these great people of faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, who were all had great deliverance from the Lord. But it also it goes on in verses 37 and 38, and it talks about that there's other people who were just as great in the faith, though their names are not called, who went through incredible difficulty. 
and who literally, who literally lost their lives. They were torn limb from limb. They were put to death for their faith. Acts chapter 11, you have James, John's brother, who is, who is put to death by the sword. And yet in that same chapter, uh, though the Lord did not deliver James from the sword, He delivered Peter from a prison cell as they were having a prayer meeting. Here's what I want to say to you. God will deliver His people from every pit that they find themselves in. He is faithful to deliver. And sometimes He delivers, and the, and the line was nothing more than a comfortable pillow for a night's sleep. And, and sometimes you go into the pit, and you come out, and there's no dirt on you, and there's no smell of smoke on you, and, and, and all of your hair is still in the right place. And sometimes you go into the pit and the Lord delivers you. But He doesn't always deliver you in the way that you thought He would deliver you. But here's where our faith stands. There's a world that's watching to see if our faith is real. And let me tell you something. They're not watching you when everything's going good. What gets a, 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 an unbelieving world's attention is when all of a sudden they know something in your life is amiss and something in your life is not, is not going good. And that's when they really begin to watch and see, is this faith real? Many will see it and trust in the Lord. Many will see it and trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We need the confidence. Many in this room need the confidence this morning that you hear when we cry from the pit. And not only do you hear, but you lift us up. And we all have our various pits to endure, to to go through as, as, as your followers. And yet one day they'll come the final pit of life where we face our own mortality, where we will face death. And I pray in that, in that day, in that moment, in that pit, we will cry out to you. So that a watching world 
can see the reality of our faith. So that a watching world can see you come and carry us through those troubling waters to the other side. Father, many of us are not facing that pit right now. We're facing some other pit. And we've tried to climb out rather than cry out. So, Father, this morning, I just pray that those that find themselves in that place would just begin to cry out to you. And they would wait patiently on you, knowing that you will hear and you will lift them up. And that you have a purpose in all of this. A purpose of a work to do in us and a purpose of a work to do in other people. But help us to trust you. And while we wait, may we be like Paul and Silas in that prison cell. And may we sing the song of the redeemed as we wait on your deliverance. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing one more song together this morning.